0: podcast this week Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin are cast adrift but luckily wind up in the pod booth for a nice old chat about their new movie plus the directors and stars of the cracking new movie The Endless Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead pop in for a chat as well all that unusual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that uh, quite frankly is regretting coming straight here from Heathrow and an overnight flight from New York and one and a half hour sleep if that quite fitful to do the podcast. But I'm sure you guys won't notice. It's (laughs) It's totally fine. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, brought to you by those wonderful peeps at Sky Cinema, the dedicated home for movie lovers. Later in the show, we'll be pointing out a couple of movies that you can watch on Sky Cinema, just two movies from the 1,000-plus films, a huge array of films that are available on demand on Sky Cinema, including a brand-new premiere every single day. How exciting. Joining me this week, two colleagues: this is Lethal Cunning, Nick DeSemlian. Hello, Ben Travis. Hello. Very, very exciting stuff indeed. Ah. Uh,
1: ah. <laughs> uh, this is like the closest to drunk I've ever seen you. You're <laughs> like drunk on tiredness.
0: I'm. I'm so pungent.
2: I I'm keeping so, over this side of the I office. I am
0: so fragrant. I. I can. I can feel how I must smell. I, I've tried. I like I was in the toilets at Heathrow, and I was trying to like squirt stuff under my armpits. I don't even know what it was. It might have been shaving cream. Who knows? And I, but I don't think I don't think it's worked. I don't think it's worked. I just need to. I just need to get into the into the zone. I just, literally just stepped off a plane, and that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. It was it was good. It was good. I you know I enjoyed I enjoyed the um, lack of legroom. That was mm-hmm. fun. And Were there but, any yeah. good movies on the plane? Uh, I brought some. Mm-hmm. I brought some. I watched Charlie Farrick, the Walter Matthau, nineteen seventies Don Siegel thriller. I believe it was a film he made after Dirty Harry. Uh, also includes a performance from Andy Robinson, And uh, the Andy Robinson as he is in the cast uh, who played Scorpio in in Dirty Harry. That's a cracking film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Walter Matthau. It's now available on Blu-ray. You're meant. To, you're breaking the
1: cardinal rule of of in-flight entertainment, which is that you're meant to watch all the bad films that you didn't want to watch, <laughs> not on a plane. <laughs> What's your, what's your in-flight movie policy? Just watch the stuff that I probably wouldn't watch elsewhere or the stuff that I don't care about not seeing on a big screen.
2: Yeah, well, one of the things that we're going to talk about later on is um, the Sicario sequel, Soldado. And um, I almost watched the first mm. Sicario on a plane and then I was like, this is not a plane film. I've heard it's really good and I don't want to watch it on this teeny tiny screen. So it's definitely, for me, the kind of two to three star kind of want to see it anyway it'll pass a bit of time mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. and then sometimes you get pleasantly surprised by those things i watched um, goosebumps mm. on a plane it was a fun hour and a half it was decent <laughs> yeah. i i've i watched my girlfriend's screen while she was watching stalks mm. and it seemed like the most like abstract bizarre kids film uh, uh, trying to follow it especially without the dialogue to trying to like string together what the actual plot and the scenario of that film is there's there's storks and they bring the babies but the babies are like a a factory machine and i don't know what the fuck was (laughs) going on there yeah
1: i tweeted recently that i i had a flight recently where i um ended up watching half of peter rabbit that, that is Which a movie half? that I would never watch, like not on a plane, not Bottom on a submarine, mm-hmm. not on a lorry. Um, <laughs> but the lady next to me kept saying how great it was and um, she kept saying, oh, you'll love Peter Rabbit. It's on the system. Mm-hmm. You should check it out. And it was like an 11-hour flight, so about six hours in I caved under the pressure and she was watching me quite keenly while I, was, <laughs> while I was watching Peter Rabbit so I had to pretend to laugh and, and, and then I got halfway through and I thought oh, I'm going to say, and then I said to her I'm going to save the rest for another flight
0: I'm going to save it it's too good it's, <laughs> it's too good I don't want to be this tired or this kind yeah. of airborne I need, on to, be a, yeah. watching I need yeah. to be yeah. at my yeah. absolute peak I need, yeah, I need to appreciate how the director mm. Will Gluck intended mm. that's quite a
1: good bit of a badger but um, I try and uh, generally I watch more
2: emotional films on a plane cause really? because like, uh, yeah. being on a plane makes you cry I like right? It. I like it So that's your that's your place to have your emotional release in a metal tube, thousands of meters in the air. It's surrounded by strangers.
1: No one's looking at you.
0: Uh,
2: Uh, Everyone's looking away because they're like, I don't want to look at the man who's just like sobbing (laughs) for eleven hours (laughs) on his flight to
0: LA. Plus, how Nick gets on the plane? He 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 gets on the plane crying, and then and then uh, then mixes uh, mixes um, painkillers with with alcohol very very quickly. And goes into sort of fugue state. Yeah, and it, he'll get, he'll get up halfway through the flight, announce "I am Empire," and then try and open the the emergency exit door at thirty five thousand feet. Yeah, no, that's what it, I do.
1: I, I get a tomato <laughs> juice. That's my that's my drink. I only ever drink it <laughs> on a the plane. Hard stuff. I only ever drink it. I, I do things on planes that I wouldn't do anywhere else. And I, I I gotta stress that I'm only limiting that to drinks and and what I watch. But um, um, yeah, <laughs> watching Peter Rabbit. So I put like on the greatest. Sh- I watched the Greatest Showman, which mm-hmm. I missed at the cinema. Had a tomato juice, and I was blubbing away about. I don't know why. It was when they did a kind of. Um, what were you plugging away at? Uh, the Greatest Showman. Hmm. There was a musical number. <laughs> there, was a, there was a musical number where all of the uh, all of the kind of the carnival folk come out onto the street and do a kind of like. Okay, it's a sort of a dance fight <laughs> with these angry people who are picketing them. And that uh, does sound emotional. And I was just got I just got overwhelmed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh Nick, you, I, I, you saving up all of your emotions to get it out yeah. in a play. That's that's toxic mas- masculinity in action. <laughs> We're here for you. You can talk to us any time. You don't have to live like that. You oh. can feel these emotions in in other in other places as well. I'm
0: getting weepy at the memory. In, in fairness, yeah. the Greta showman drove me to tears at ground level. <laughs> so I don't know what we'll do to be at thirty-five thousand feet. Um, okay. And I once watched uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Now that is. Uh, Hang on, hang on, whoa, 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 whoa. That's got to be, that has to be something you brought on. You, you smuggled that film onto the no, plane yourself. No, it was on the wasn't system. It wasn't on the system. It was on the system. Which, were, were you find I was flying like God <laughs> of oh, Phil Air. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, Phil Air. <era. laughs> <laughs> Phil Simian flying the plane. He was flying. Hey, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> L-Man.
1: terrible impression of my brother. <laughs> <Jet lines>. Um <laughs> But it was a particularly art house. It must have been on the way to Cannes or something. And
0: um, <laughs> You don't have time for a flight. No, I know, it
1: wasn't on the way to Cannes. But, All um, right. It was, uh, it was amazing.
0: I should watch that film on a bigger screen because I think it deserves it. Yeah, the umbrellas. They demand to be seen on a, on a bigger screen. I don't like watching films on planes. Really hard to get the projector in, for one thing, but... <laughs> what's the old joke? I saw a film on the plane and it was so bad I tried to walk out. Uh, Ollie Richards had a cracking one. By the way, this is in relation to a question, which is from Mr. Harry Lime, who asks, what's the best movie experience you ever had on a plane, even if it turned out to be in the light of day? A crap film. Ollie Richards... Uh, of this parish recently tweeted that he was on a plane with someone and uh, he was on a plane with himself and like three four rows ahead he could see this guy watching justice league three times in a row uh, that's a cry for help isn't yeah, were it were they
2: were they okay did they stay on the plane did they... <laughs>
0: that's that, uh, what worrying on
2: yeah. many levels yeah that is that's upsetting yes I don't know if I'm going to be able to carry on with this podcast. Just to knowing that, about that that person is out yeah. there. <laughs> Maybe, understandably, they kept falling asleep and then thinking, oh,
0: I'll have to start it from the beginning. Oh, or they were just so, such avid fans who were like, mm. yes, mm. they've nailed it. They've nailed it. <laughs> a true acolyte of Steppenwolf. Um, I, I think I can <laughs> I challenge make that,
1: that, can challenge that story in terms of plain weirdness because I once sat next to somebody who watched the whole of Law Abiding Citizen the Gerard Butler movie mm. with the sound off, uh, with no headphones on, just just watch the visuals for oh. the entire movie. His actions speak
0: louder than words ever could. That's me. I did that with you. Remember? Um, <laughs> you watched we, me. We, yeah, I watched you. Uh, like like you watched John Byega sleep. <laughs> <That's> another story. <laughs> like, um, what? <laughs> you know, we were flying. Was it Comic Con last year? We were flying to Comic Con, and you were watching an episode of Doctor Who on your iPad. Yes. And I just I just sat beside you and watched it silently with you. And you had your headphones on and I was just like watching it. But you you cuz you watch things with the uh the subtitles on. Mm. And then you trace your finger along the screen as the words come up. <laughs> I, I don't do the second <laughs> bit, but I do sometimes do the first bit. Yeah. Do like yeah. Doctor Who, You can do all the yeah, voices. Absolutely. It was fun. Mm. I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. That was good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever watched a film twice in a plane, ever ever seen a film maybe for the first time and gone, right, this is it. I need to rewatch this immediately. Uh, I've never watched anything twice on a plane.
2: Uh, I haven't been on that many long-haul flights, so it's, I just still like the novelty. Do you know what a plane is, Ben? It, that's one of the, the flight the, tubes. It's the, flight, the tube. flight tube. It's the train mm-hmm. that leaves the ground. Okay, and it does the fast bit, and then it's the air bit, yeah. and then it's the bumpy bit. The bumpy bit. And
0: then you get off. You get Well, depending okay. on how <gasps> the flight's been. I wouldn't oh, want to presume. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then you you uh, disembark, is, uh, okay. is
2: what they actually say. Uh, yeah, I've been on a couple of those. Uh, yeah. I've not watched any films twice. I, I've there's, I've had one where the film was so bad that even on a plane captive at kind of 20,000 feet or whatever, I just couldn't carry on. Uh, and that was Assassin's Creed. Mm. And that was on the way to E3, the games expo. Mm. And uh, it was actually Ubisoft, the games company, taking me out there at the time. And I was like, oh, I'll watch, I'll watch Assassin's Creed. It. I just still couldn't I, do I couldn't it. make it through that film either. It was the most bizarrely dull film about a criminal who gets sent into the past as a medieval templar to assassinate people how would you make that i don't so think dull. i made it
1: to the bit where he was back in time i, I yeah, made it to a, a bit where he, he looked out of a window
2: for a very long time yes and, and uh and then, he's in lots of gray rooms with like weird bits of technology i turned it off and then watched moana for about the fifth time <laughs> and actually then i nearly cried as well just it's just and emotions, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Every time with that yeah.
1: one. I, I've seen a film twice. I, I watched the Michael Bay film 13 hours on a flight. So 26 for hours. For 13 hours. And then I, I, <laughs> I, I liked it so much that when I got off the plane and went
0: home, I then bought it and rented it off <laughs>
1: iTunes and watched it How again different the same was that day. experience? Wow.
0: I really like that film. That's like, my, good... that's like my Predators thing where I saw Predators in the morning and loved it and then went to see it again in the afternoon and was like... That's all right This maybe isn't as good as I remembered it being three hours ago (laughs) But I'm kicking myself Because I've just remembered that Den of Thieves Was on the flight on the way home Jared Butler's crime opus And uh, I didn't watch it I watched Charlie Farrakh instead I'm I'm totally okay with that That decision Then I tried to sleep because I knew I'd be doing the podcast And I thought, you know what guys I'm not going to do the podcast jet lagged Because that would be a disaster
1: How's it working out? Mm. Mm. It's fantastic. Have we, have we even started we met? to answer this
0: question? <laughs> have we met? Because have I introduced you guys? <laughs> yes. This is Nick and this is Ben. Oh, uh, we're in a Westworld-style loop. Sales <laughs> interlinked. Without any of the intelligence. Yeah, or none of us know
2: what's going on.
0: Genu- well, that genuinely wasn't the question I sent you guys, because you 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 wanted to know what the question was, and I panicked. And uh, But then the conversation naturally answered another question. But apologies, because we don't have time to answer the other question, too
1: Let's answer it very quickly.
0: Okay, all right, hang on, hang on, hang on, let me find it, let me find it. I've got lots of questions. Lots of people asking about the World Cup which is still going on and is still amazing. Uh, Okay, yes, Felicity Kate, at Felicity Kate, long-time listener to the podcast, asked, what's the worst plane scene in a movie?
1: Uh, The bit in Commando where there is a mannequin of Arnold Schwarzenegger
2: uh, falling to the ground. (laughs) It's really obviously a mannequin. There you go. Uh, I was going to say the Alan Raptor in Jurassic Park 3, but then I thought you said the best scene (laughs) on a plane, so I got that one confused. I also had the
0: the trouser snake in Snakes on a Plane, <laughs> um,
2: where where that that guy is. You're just, you're just filthy
0: Ben, aren't you? You're just filthy. <laughs> you're just talking about trouser snakes and getting off on planes, and you know you're you've twisting. got a dark side, haven't you? <laughs> it's it's hidden under many layers. Should be called um, Randy Travis. <laughs> is there a
2: Randy Travis? <laughs> What's, <him? laughs> What's going on? Who am I? Just tell me who I
0: need to be. <laughs> I think there's um, a. I'm going to Google it. You keep talking, I'm going to Google so Randy the, Travis.
2: The other thing I was going to say was, it's was, it was not in the film, but do you guys remember a couple of years ago when that first trailer for The Mummy came out, the mm. Tom Cruise one? It was the IMAX trailer for The Mummy that was uploaded to YouTube, and for some reason, the file that oh, they uploaded... Yes. Didn't have any music, and it was just rudimentary screaming. sound effects. And it's the scene where they're in the plane, and the pla- all the birds crash through the plane, and the plane's going down, and they're all tumbling around in the plane. Yeah, and it's these like really bad screaming sound effects <laughs> and just silence of just all these actors tumbling around. And the it's plane. just like Tom Cruise just going. Tom ah! Cruise going <laughs> exactly ah! like that. I watched that. It's, Three times in a row, yep. I laughed for 20 solid minutes until I genuinely couldn't breathe and my throat seized up and it was a possible near-death experience. Go to YouTube, search, search The Mummy... <laughs> imax no sound trailer it's honestly one of the funniest things that i have ever seen and purely justifies the the limited <laughs> existence of the whatever that dark universe was going to be <laughs> it's like, great it's
1: so good the, it's the true dark universe i, I think <laughs> they should have lent into it and just done the whole film like that and
2: it would have been made a lot more money yeah it would be like the room levels of Absolutely. like this i'm just so glad this
0: exists mm. there is a randy travis is there The a R- who well, is he he's a country and western singer uh, years active 1978 to present people have asked on Google what did Randy Travis die of and uh, illness uh, is, he was on a, a podcast that went wrong and just didn't end they've so also asked can Randy Travis sing again And yes and apparently he sang again on Sunday uh, now this is where it gets weird because he sang again three years after he died so there must be two Randy Travises
2: I thought you said he was still present <laughs>
0: What is the net worth of Randy Travis? Was also uh, as also asked. He's you an American country know. music singer who has a net worth of five million dollars. He was born Randy Bruce Traywick on May fourth, nineteen fifty nine, in Marshville, North Carolina. Is this when we should step in and do the puppeteering thing? <laughs> I think we've lost him. So the uh, the worst. I mean, uh, the worst scene on a plane is not a bad scene for mm-hmm. me, but it's something I would not like to see. Which is the Mile High Club. In particular, I'm thinking about the Clark Gregg movie, Joke, which starred Sam Rockwell. And in that movie, Sam Rockwell is very loose and uh, very lascivious, a bit like yourself, Ben, Mm -hmm. and he wants to do nothing more than just get it on on a plane. And uh, so there's, there's, I think there's a scene in that, if I remember rightly, where I think it may even be the end of the film, where he opens the, someone opens the, toilet door in a plane and sam rockwell is in there naked completely naked uh, in fighting them in for a bit of toilet hanky panky at thirty-five thousand feet other altitudes are available
1: oh you got one more you got yeah one i more? Would just had soul plane um,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: just you prefer your planes with whole,
1: zero soul whatsoever I, I, yeah soul free it, it, starring tom arnold as elvis hunky and uh, snoop dogg as captain mac i did have to look this up but um i had to review that once and it was that was your first review of Empire, wasn't it? No, the first one I reviewed for Empire was a film called The Wash, which is uh, Doctor Dre and Eminem. No, Doctor Eminem's in it, but it's Doctor Dre and Snoop Dogg start a car wash. That's the plot.
2: <laughs> I want to watch this. I gave it three
0: stars. <laughs> I was like, Yay! Why not? <laughs> Sounds um, like a documentary. I would. I would totally watch that reality TV show. Ben, what was your first review for Empire?
2: Uh, it was Winchester. Winchester, which was not good. Don't. I mean. I like to think my review was alright. So mm-hmm. read the review, but it's not worth seeing the film. All
1: right, That's so the Helen Mirren. Helen wanted. Mirren ghost story.
2: Helen Mirren uh, shooting ghosts, which is not as good as it sounds, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very effective, I presume. <laughs> no, Unless you've got a ghost go. No. And goes the whole film is this like big anti gun message and about like the the, the destruction <laughs> that the Winchester rifle has wrought and then it ends with um yeah, people trying to shoot ghosts. It's not it's not good. Sounds two quite, two stars not good. a recommendation. Sounds quite good.
0: You watch that and I'll watch, what was it, The Wash? Uh, The Wash. The Wash. Okay, and we'll compare notes. Okay. Okay, so there you go. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, uh, you can do so, oh, hey, tell you what, tell you what will never be in this question in future editions of the podcast, Nick. People ask about the worst plane scenes in movies and they will not be able to say, unlandable to colon, upgrade, colon, holding pattern, colon, with Carl Weathers as Carl Weathers... The buzz has begun. The buzz, the buzz is huge. If you can hear, like, if you can hear a background hum on this podcast, it's me. It's a me, uh, and B, it's just the buzz. The buzz is huge. I think Carl Weathers would be up for it if we just tweeted him. He was. He's up very for positive. I pitched it to him right. on the podcast. He insisted on having Halle Berry as his co-star. It was a deal breaker, and that's where the deal broke. I'm afraid. So well, well, he's well. a smart man. He, he saw an easy loophole. <laughs> He saw us coming a mile away. Anyway, if you want to have your question read right out on the Empire Podcast, uh, do tweet us. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast as Felicity Kate and the other person did. And you can also email us, podcast at com. And you can Facebook us. <laughs> Why bother? But you can. Yeah. You can. Ben, you're meant to check that, aren't you? Am I? Yes. Yeah, I think you are yeah check it Ben okay. uh, check it for next week okay. let's have a Facebook question for next okay. week let's do that uh, so there you go okay time now for our first guest because there's a double whammy of double whammies this week uh, Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin star in a film called Adrift and they were talking to John Nugent I don't have any other blurb guys I've literally just stepped off a plane but here's the interview
4: delighted to have Shailene Woodley and Sam Claflin on the Empire Shailene's podcast. Shailene's yawning already just, just her <laughs>
5: Guys, I just need some oxygen.
4: <laughs> <laughs> we are here to talk about Adrift obviously. Uh, it's great to see you guys back on dry land. So this is based on a real story of course uh, Tammy Tammy Oldham-Ashcraft and her book Red Sky Morning. So were you f- you guys familiar with the book to
6: begin with?
5: I wasn't. No, I hadn't heard of this story until I read the screenplay in late 2016.
6: Yeah, and myself and I, though, I, I had no sailing experience or knowledge of any sailing stories really prior to this film. Yeah, uh, And reading the script, though, I, I was I was obviously intrigued to kind of read more and learn more. And knowing it was based on a true story, I felt very compelled to, to open the book. So, Yeah, and it is such an incredible
4: story. And were you able to meet the real Tammy beforehand and get to know her a bit.
5: Uh we didn't meet her beforehand. I spoke with her a bit before we commenced shooting. We Skyped a couple times and uh, emailed, texted back and forth, but I hadn't met her until about halfway through shooting when she came to Fiji. And that was an interesting experience. You know, you you yeah. have this strong desire to get to know her and to uh be friendly and, and hang out and yet also this awareness that it could perhaps be a very traumatic experience yeah. for her and, and and wanting to draw a line between um, you know, being professional and wanting to be embraceive of her and her experience. Sam had a pretty cool story, though, of when she first met him.
6: Yes, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I had. Um, I mean, of course, it, you have. There's so many questions you have when you read her, her book. When you, you you know the story. When you finally get to meet her, um, I mean, portraying like the love, the, the sort of first love of her, the big love of her life, mm. and. Um, you know not having the opportunity to meet with him now like so there was this 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 part of me that had so so many questions you know what 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 was he like whether he did this and blah, blah. and i think i think once she kind of came out to fiji similarly i i kind of shied away from any any questions i had and just tried to embrace the fact that she was there supporting us and kind of um really just wanting to get To know us, I suppose, in in a way as well. But we went out for lunch, and I was telling a story uh, or a joke or something, and I remember her sort of going quiet and getting slightly teary eyed, and someone saying, "Are you okay?" And she's, "I can't, I cannot get over how similar you are to him. Like your speech pattern, your gestures, your." You just, just embody the essence of him. So I think there, there was a part of me that then felt even more kind of um, insecurity of like, well, I can't, now I can't ask any questions. This might be, as you say, traumatic or because, you know, it's, it's a big it's a big event in her life. And I think, you know, anytime you kind of revisit an event like that, it could be painful. It could be beautiful and you know re- rewarding in many ways but it's it just a, the fear of the unknown was somewhere I didn't want to yeah uh, 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 go in, get into so that's really interesting you say that so I wanted to know
4: how much of your performance I guess was from like research and, and getting to know the real people and how much was like your your own creation and, and uh, you know from the script I mean was there a bit, a bit of a balance there
5: yeah there was I've I played a real person before and I remember with that particular character, I was really keen on not knowing her very well because I wanted to um, not make her my own, but it's a tricky thing as an actor. You know, you can mm. um, try and be someone all day long and you can take the opinions of other people and, and conjure up an idea of someone but unless you're actually feeling into how you would react in a given scenario, mm. you're not being authentic and you're not being present and real And and I kind of have this belief system that says you know, to be like all acting is is to be a professional listener that's it yeah. to just like be a really good listener and to react and um so playing tammy i i did do research obviously the book was our you know our guiding force in and out every single day we had our script but we still went back to the scenes those scripts were based or the book that those scenes were based on um to make sure that we got all the details right and as far as her emotional experience, um, I think that mine would have been very similar had I been in her situation. And and so in that way, uh, it was kind of easy to gauge how we wanted to create Tammy. But it was also really important to us that, and to me that um, I was Shailene amidst the chaos and the boundaries and the restrictions of Tammy's story. Right. Because then you'd kind of get this... Otherwise, you'd get an inauthentic version of of who she was.
6: Yeah, I, th- I think again. This similarly, this is my second time portraying a real person, um, and both times, what's been quite important to me is that I was never doing an impersonation or an impression of that person. It, it was actually just from my own research in in the script or the source material or any 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 information I could find. I would use that, utilize it to my advantage, but basically conjure up my own version of the character and i I think it's difficult to not get close to the character or understand the character purely because of the 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 beautiful way in this that he's he's talked about and he's you know i feel i felt like I, i remember reading the script the first time and i was coming off the back of a job that i was playing someone so far removed from who i am that The reason I was so attracted to this script is because I was like, oh my God, he's basically me. Uh, And then any any future articles or or information I found out about Richard... He, he got closer and closer to who I am as a person. There was this article where, within the article, it, it sort of talks, it discusses him building his own boat in South Africa and the, the fact that he was a bit of a perfectionist and he, he, he you know, had slight OCD. And I was like, oh my God, like he literally is ticking every box of the Sam Claflin. So there was so many similarities between myself and him. And that was what actually drew me to the project because it was so close to me. And I thought, I've never done that. Yes, fine. Learning to sail is going to be a new challenge, but actually, the emotional and physical um, um, kind of uh, similarities are so so close that I, I, I figured that it, it, I needed to get back to myself. If that makes sense, yeah. And I think I think um, so. It was, it was, you know, of course, we're not the same person, but there uh, there was definitely an essence already there for me to work with. So
4: yeah. So so how was the shoot then? Because I understand you shot on as little green screen as possible. So. I mean, how were your sea legs?
5: Oh, they're um, they're leggy. <laughs> uh, we the the first days, a couple of days out, were a little bit rough. Um, but meaning there was a lot of puke and there was a lot of uh, discomfort. <laughs> 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 but after that, we all kind of you know did gain our sea legs, and yeah. whether it was through medication or through uh, they have these armband. Um, pressure point yeah. things that really seemed to help and i think we also just got used to the water and, and knew what to expect and what to eat before going out to sea and the whole experience there were of course very challenging grueling days of being under the sun for 14 hours straight and um waiting around a lot you know oftentimes on movie sets they use the expression hurry up and wait where <laughs> you have to hurry, hurry hurry and then you're sitting around for three hours waiting for lighting mm-hmm. and this movie a lot of the times there was no hurrying up and waiting because we had to shoot as much as we possibly could given the current weather and the constantly shifting uh, patterns of Mother Nature being out at sea but then there also was a lot of a lot of a few days where we were stuck on the boat for i just remember it was towards the end of shooting we were were on the boat and they were doing some helicopter shots and the sun was in the wrong position and we were stuck out there for eight hours maybe that's so good (laughs) but it was so wonderful i mean we you know between takes we would jump in the ocean at lunchtime we could swim to shore i remember this one day we like raced ashore (laughs) for a 30 minute lunch and uh yeah, it's it's hard to complain when you get to do those things every
4: yeah. every other second. And did you become competent sailors by the end of it? I mean, how are your sailing skills? Um,
6: um <laughs> I I I I, <laughs> I, I look, I I I know my way around a boat. I know how to handle not ropes but lines and sheets I and uh okay. still
5: way better than
6: yeah i, I mean it's it's what what you, you we quickly realize is it's a very physical thing sure. like to, to 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 be a sailor is is incredibly physical not and, and demanding and it's not only physically actually it's mentally the focus and and the concentration you have to always have like if you're a sailor on your own on a boat you won't sleep like you can't Sleep for too long because the boat could go off course, so you literally can nap for like a little periods of time i mean the, I mean you can understand why there 's the hallucinations at sea and what have you, but mm. for us, I mean we obviously only experienced the sailing in small doses. Um, we had an incredible marine team sort of supporting us every step of the way um, and, and of course when you 're doing film there 's repetition, repetition, repetition we weren 't able to have too much repetition purely because of the speed in which we were moving at yeah. um, but you know if, if we did make anything look a bit bogus then you know we were able to go again if you know what I mean yeah. but at the same time there was definitely moments where and I think this is actually for me one of the most challenging things because you're in the heat of the moment we had a very short window to shoot certain moments and uh, they'd be having they'd have a camera pointing at a sail and they'd say right Sam Shaylin can you go and stand in front of the camera and do something that looks sailor like <laughs> you know so we would have to quickly go to the marine's Going, right, what would I be doing here? And right. we'd have to learn on the fly in the moment. Okay. So I think I think as much as we kind of do look quite competent as sailors in the film, uh, much of it was kind of learned in the like so quickly yep. that I probably couldn't repeat it now. Um, but I I I honestly really really took to it. I, I fell in love with the ocean. I fell in love with being on a boat and and the kind of moving around the the sort of unchoreographed dance that happens before your eyes I mean it's, it's quite amazing these sort of ducking and weaving underneath these sails that are swinging from side to side the boat shifts your weight has to shift it, it immediately is it's really quite poetic and, and, and beautiful and when you're kind of in it and when you're really properly sailing and at times we really were and we literally were and we was not only sailing ourselves but sailing a crew of like 20 people <laughs> below decks who were all throwing up yeah. um <laughs> you know it was, it was just really it was really really exhilarating yeah. and when you're in like, i'll never forget the first day that they left they you know that i went on the hazana the beautiful yacht that that, that we end up crashing into a hurricane but it, it, they when we first arrived and we were in that little port of Suva and they were like so Sam um, this is the first time we're going we're going I'm going to put you on a course in like you're going to be heading to, like into the harbor um, and you're going to touch the bum of the boat on on the tyres there, and then you're going to shoot off out to the ocean. I went. Right, Sorry, you what? And they were like, yeah, yeah you're going to. hear the wheel. Right. And I was like, what? 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 Sorry, what? And they were like, Yep, yeah. Yep, this about is about two hundred thousand pounds worth of you know of boat. Oh, so wow. don't don't break anything. I was like, what? The, what is going on? I've never done this before. And then we did. We did it like four or five times in a row, and that was like just as we're setting out on the expedition the yeah I mean it was honestly like driving a car <laughs> like for a the three first point time yeah I mean it yeah. got like a 17 point turn <laughs> in a really really expensive yacht Ah, oh, god it was it was terrifying but but you know again we, I, I felt well supported and um, yeah we were we were very lucky
4: yeah I think that's all the time I have but uh, guys thank you so much for your time thank you and well done for not puking through the whole interview <laughs> <laughs>
0: OK, so that was Shane
4: Woodley and
0: Sam Claflin talking to John Nugent. And now it is time to delve into this week's movie news. What is happening? How is it happening? Who is it happening to? And when is it happening? Mm. Should we start with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm. picture that we were, we were discussing
2: before we turned the mics on? Uh, so this is the very first look image from...
0: Mic's Quiten- are- huh? I need to turn the mics on. <laughs> is this a... Yeah, hang on. Yeah, a a keep bit- talking, man. keep talking. Hello, hello. Oh, that's better. That's yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. Hang good. on.
1: Has he not been? Yeah. plugged in.
0: No, Ben's not plugged. You, you okay? Talk, 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 talk.
2: I'm
0: so confused. <laughs> there you go. That's no, fine. Am my back. I'm yeah, I'm you're back.
2: back. Hey, just, just
4: Josh and This is a jet like Jake.
7: Jet
0: like Jake. Jet like But He was trying to
7: talk. So, what were
2: we doing again? Why are you Making this harder. It's already really hard. You're the one who's going to have to edit this as well.
0: So, you maybe you should be called Randy Travis with filth mouth like that Ben you were talking about Quentin Tarantino's new movie Quentin Once Tarantino's Tar- look- new film am I the only guy being professional here
2: Ben uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh the Qu- Quentin Tarantino film had our first look image from that we were discussing it um just before we turned the mics on and uh yeah so this is our first look at Brad Pitt wearing some very fashionable looking double denim uh and Leonardo DiCaprio wearing a sort of Mustard turtleneck and a, a very loose uh, tan jacket.
0: Very similar to one I have in Banana Republic. Oh, really? Very, very swanky. That's new information that you've just heard for the first time. For the very first
2: time. <laughs> uh, have you got a mustard turtleneck?
0: I, you know, I may have had at one point. Please I'm, come in in that outfit. No, tomorrow. no, this is like this is old. Uh-huh. Like in my in my twenties, life has been a, a louche yeah. Loosh, uh, what's the word? Uh, Lothario. Yeah. <laughs> like I can everything. Lothario. And yeah. our own,
1: uh, our own writer Simon Crook has has pointed out on Twitter that um, DiCaprio's ensemble outfit is almost exactly the same as Mindhorn's. He just yeah, w-
2: all he needs is the eye patch, and then he's he's all the way there, and and a, a cushion under yeah. the uh, under the mustard which top. Which begs the question: Is this a Mindhorn prequel? It's part of the MCU.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it I was only a matter a of time before they branched that
0: film out into uh, prequels, sequels, is this once, animated series, <laughs> series. Is this Once Upon a Time in the Isle of Man? Because I would be, I would be absolutely up for that. Yeah, when
2: they've been saying that the Manson side of it is actually just like the backgrounds of the story, it's because the meat of the story is the origins of Mindhorn. Yeah, yeah, that's the true
1: part. So Pitt Pit is Cliff Booth. Uh, DiCaprio me? is Rick Dalton.
2: Cliff Booth. Cliff
1: Booth. Cliff Booth. Um, so DiCaprio is kind of the late '60s Hollywood star, and um, Pitt is playing his kind of stunt uh, coordinator. It's kind of a bit of a Burt Reynolds Hal Needham dynamic, I think. Yes, from what we've heard, it's pretty cool. It's a cool image. Yeah, it's I know cool, we've
2: got yeah. our kind of reservations about some of the subject matter of this film, mm. but seeing those two in an image together and. The prospect of them working with Tarantino I, I mean it's massively exciting and this is the start of uh, I think production kicked off the other week there's so many other good people in this as well. You've got uh, Margot Robbie and Al Pacino, and just like a load of new and classic stars.
0: Kurt Russell, together. Russell, oh, Timothy yeah. Oliphant's in it. Damien mm. Lewis is playing Steve McQueen. Yeah. Which is interesting because I'm pretty sure Damien Lewis is older now or very close to older now than Steve McQueen was when Steve McQueen died mm-hmm. in like 1980. I think he died right. in 1980 or 1981, something like that. Dakota um, Fanning. Luke Perry, Perry. Luke Perry. I mean, this is i I'm very, very excited about this. And now we know that it's a Mindhorn prequel. I'm even more excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, but genuinely, I think we were talking about this before we came on air. Uh, if I were Tarantino, I would look. Well, I'm maybe, what, two weeks into filming? If I'd seen Crookie's tweet, I'd be like, maybe we need to look at the costume again. Yeah. Um, maybe just, I think he should double down. Add, add to the eye patch, go all the way. Add uh, the eye patch and the um. ability to, to, uh, to discern whether people are lying. Mm-hmm. This is huge. Okay, mm-hmm. so once upon a time, the other man coming very, very soon. Indeed, it's exciting. The Predator has a new trailer, mm. and
2: it thankfully shows a little bit more of that Shane Black tone that we've been hoping for. The, mm. the, there's been one teaser um that was just a very quick look. There was a, a first trailer that um showed a decent amount of like all the Predator stuff that you expect to see, but one of the most exciting parts about this this new sequel is yeah shane black writing and directing and you want to see his his tone and his voice coming through uh, and you do in the new trailer because there is a pretty amazing uh your mum joke that comes from <laughs> keegan michael key you've got lots of sparky uh dialogue in there it's the red band trailer so you get a couple of f's and jeff's yeah. and uh, some good disembowelings oh and- love a disembowel oh yeah the mega, the mega predator
1: they've revealed.
2: Yes, they have. Which I it was possibly a tiny step too far. There's like a quite. It is a cool shot that they show off in the trailer, but it feels like it would be a really cool shot to see for the first time in the film. Hmm. But um, yeah, aside from that, I think it's probably uh, the best look. Good new yet. poster
1: as well. There's there's yes. a new poster out of uh, the mega predator again, not the actual name. As uh, like giant hand with a predator skull in it. With the spinal the spine, column and yeah. lots of green news, it's it's looking cool. It's shaping up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about this one. I mean, maybe a little bit less exciting is the uh, news that there will be another Spider-Man spin-off. Venom is yes. not going to be the end. Morbius is coming. Morbius and it stars
0: sister. Jared Leto. Yeah. Morbius, the living vampire. Yeah, I. I reacted very hastily to this last night. I was I was about to get on the plane and I saw the news of this and I simply, I quote tweeted it with the the, the, the words, Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> and I had a plane ride and then the journey here. To reflect on that, guys, I think I was a little bit, Too little bit hasty. <laughs> and I, you know, I should have said, Jesus H Christ, no, 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 no. And this is this is no reflection on Jared Leto, who is uh, a fantastic actor in many many films. This is uh, for me. I just I, I read I, you know every day's Christmas Eve and Empire, but I, I just feel that this is maybe a off too far. Mm. I you know I don't really know what's happening over there. The Silver and uh, Black uh, spin off has been put on hold for the time being, which was Silver Sable and Black Cat. Venom is happening. You know we are not too sure how that's going to turn out. You know, this has got good people involved. Daniel Espinosa. I liked life. I liked a Safe House. Jared Leto is, is good when he's motivated. I mean, I'm sure any prospective co-stars are terrified about what he might send them and how method yeah. he might get as, the, as a living vampire. But I'm just worried about this sort of... This feels like there's a slight scraping of the bottom of the barrel. Mm-hmm. That, that Sony are trying to set up the Spider-Man universe and they don't have... Spider-Man in these movies. So how does that work? How does that? How does that? You know, gel together ultimately. I think there's a glimmer of hope with this one.
1: It's being directed by Daniel Espinosa, who um, did Life, which was surprisingly good. I thought mm. I really and really it, liked it.
2: I guess if if the, the the tone of the character and stuff, if there is a slight possible like horror bent to this i know uh, there's been quite a bit of trouble with something like the new mutants which was very actively trying to do this horror take on the comic book genre but it sounds it's such a strange character to pull um especially when you've not got spider man in play mm. that it it makes me think well, may, like maybe they've got a take on the character that they think will work rather than it just being a kind of totally random pick.
1: I do wonder if they're building up to something, if they, mm. if this is a way of introducing these villains separately mm-hmm. and then the plan is for them all to team up and mm-hmm. take on, because they've obviously talked yeah. about doing the Sinister Six. Yeah. Um, so I think that Spider-Man will come into it and I'd mm-hmm. be very surprised if they don't tease Spider-Man a lot in these yeah. in these two films. Yeah.
0: Again, just wait, just wait, wait and see how Venom does and how it's, how it's received. You know, there's all these rumours about the Star Wars standalone stories being either pared back or cut off completely at the moment, no confirmation from from Disney and Lucasfilm. In fact, the opposite, they've denied that it's going to happen. But, you know, you would feel that they were very, very confident before Solo came out and then Solo didn't do very well. And so that must have uh, a knock on effect. And so if Venom comes out and doesn't do very well or isn't well received, then that's surely going to have a knock-on effect. and all these other movies, there's another character called Silk that they were talking about doing a, a solo, a standalone movie for, uh, this week. That's not not every Spider-Man character deserves their own movie, I would say. But you know, maybe they are going to try and bring it all together. And you know, But, but as far as I understand, Tom Holland, uh, the not the historian, not the director of Fright Night and Child's Play, can only appear in the MCU movies. I may be completely wrong in that, but that's my that's my understanding anyway. That's my that's my feeling about that. There is Spider-Man news as well in that Tom Holland has the historian. Uh, no, the other one, the director of *Fright Night* and Child's Play.
2: Oh no no no! The other other one. Oh, the guy
0: who fixed James Arness' roof.
2: The other other
0: other. Oh, one. the guy who plays Spider-Man. That one. Uh, the guy who plays. Why Spider-Man. did you say
2: that? Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, you buried the uh, yeah. lead. I really did. Um, he. Uh, leaked, and I'm, I'm doing air quotes here that you can't see because it's a podcast. He, he leaked the title in a true Tom Holland-esque style, and it seems like it's going to be called Dust Spider-Man. Boy. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Just an hour and a half of being, Aunt May sweeping it up. <laughs>
4: No, it's not Um, that, it's not
2: that. It's not that. that. It's going to be Spider-Man Far From Home, which Mm. is a
4: slightly
2: clunky title, but we're assured uh, by Kevin Feige, who has confirmed that that is indeed the the sequel title, that that's going to be, like Homecoming, a bit of a meta play on words. Mm. Um, Obviously, so this is going to be the first post-Avengers 4 film uh, kicking off the fourth phase of the MCU. Um, So... Glean from that what you so will. So it's, it's a bit of a European vacation style thing. Yeah, isn't so it? they're going to be filming it in London.
1: Mm-hmm. And, so they're uh, going to meet Eric Idle and they're going to destroy Stonehenge.
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> I, I would love it if this was a stealth remake <laughs> of European <laughs> vacation. every time he bumps into Eric Idle, Eric Idle just pissing blood all <laughs> Oh my God, that would be so great. It would be great. Look at me. Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament. They should do that.
1: There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> So what else has happened?
2: Uh, oh, while well, we're on the MCU, uh, James Gunn has shared, uh, he's he's finished the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 Good for him. screenplay. Uh, as we expected, it's it's called Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, and Feige has said that they're going to be shooting that early 2019. So even though, obviously, a lot of the MCU is up in the air um, mm-hmm. until kind of after Avengers 4, the very beginnings of, of the next phase of the stuff that we know about is starting to take shape. Um, They're
0: going to have to do so much in secrecy. Yeah, so much in secrecy. Let's imagine Guardians two is Guardians three is the first movie of twenty. Hang on, get my dates mixed up here. Twenty nine. Hang on. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Right. Twenty twenty. Yeah. So the first. That's the first film of. Hang on a second. So twenty nineteen. When's 2019? Is that next year? Next year. I'm very jet-lagged. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2019's next year, so we know that there's three films. They're, that, that's safe. They're in the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 2020, That's say Guardians 3 is the first movie, and then there's two other slots. And say if one of those was, say, Doctor Strange 2, mm-hmm. just guessing, you know, they can't even announce that. They can't yeah. even say it's Doctor Strange 2. So there's every chance that Scott Derrickson might be, right now, mm-hmm. writing and prepping a movie in secret. And how do you do it on a a movie of that scale? How do you do casting on a movie of that scale? It's going to be very fun finding out, but the last thing we should talk about is another movie is filming right now, and it's a huge film. It is Top Gun (sighs) 2. There is a role up for grabs, uh, and that role is Anthony Edwards' son. Goose's son. And yes, that's a Gosling. Mm. But yet, Ryan Gosling is not in contention for this. The three frontrunners are apparently... Nicholas Holt, Glenn Powell, who still brings back terrible high five memories for me, and Miles Teller, whom I have never shaken his hand or high fived. So, uh, who do you think's the uh, the who 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 would you choose from that? I know who I would choose. Who would you choose? I'm gonna say Nicholas Holt just because his surname is is alphabetically higher up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is an entirely arbitrary means of, of, of casting, but I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah uh... I honestly don't mind which of them. I've, I feel I feel relatively nonplussed about Top Gun Two. It just seems like a uh, one of those films that everyone for a long time has been saying, "Oh, Top Gun Two is it ever going to happen? Is it ever going to happen?" But the chances of it of recapturing what the first one did because it's just a, a pop cultural mm. kind of. You're Entity, a dis- you're a come on, Ben, leave, just <laughs> you're, leave, you're, just leave.
1: I'm out. You're I'm out. Disgrace. Come on, you're-, you're not playing with the boys here. Um, <laughs> hey. I'd say I'm, I'm guessing that the direction they're going to go in is that Baby Goose is going to be quite a troubled character. Like his dad is is dead. He uh, it was the plane that did, that was involved. Mm-hmm. He's angry. He's uh, he's confused. Mm-hmm. And so I think mean, Miles Teller. I'm leaning towards Miles Teller because I think he can. You think he can do the t- inner turbulence mm-hmm. and the um and uh, you know. He can probably look pretty cool with a pair of shades on as well. The other two are fine, I'm going Miles Teller.
0: Oh, okay, that's controversial. I would have him way down on my list. I, I, I would go Nicholas Holt, but close second is Glenn Powell, who is very much an up-and-comer. And I think probably the closest facial resemblance to Anthony Edwards out of the, out of all three of them. So there we go, that is it for this week's movie news. Okay, so as you know, this week's podcast is sponsored by Sky Cinema, which gives you unlimited access to the best movies at home, whenever and wherever you want in the best possible way. I've been a Sky Cinema subscriber for many years now. I love the choice they offer. In fact, I watched a film on Sky Cinema on the way to LA last week. Uh, They got over a thousand quality movies on demand, ready for me to enjoy whenever the heck I want want. Uh, this week Sky Cinema is grouping together a whole bunch of Pixar's greatest hits in the Pixar collection and why not? After all this is the studio that redefined modern animation in so many ways So obviously you've got the Toy Story trilogy in there of course that's a given, you've got Brad Bird's The Incredibles and their true masterpiece the one that stands out for me head and shoulders above all others The Incredible Up But I'm going to single out this week The Good Dinosaur, which is sometimes seen as a lesser Pixar effort, but it absolutely destroyed me. Uh, It's set in a world where dinos didn't become extinct, and we see a young dinosaur who is separated from his family he tries to get back to them with the help of a silent human. It is absolutely gorgeous to look at. I found it incredibly moving. It's very insightful about loss and family. And frankly, if you don't shed a tear at this, you're dead inside. There you go. The Good Dinosaur. And that's my first pick this week. My second pick is from the Queen's of Comedy Collection, which is still available this weekend. It's got some fantastic female-fronted comedies on there. But I'm going to go for a Sandra Bullock double bill in the shape of Miss Congeniality. And Miscongeniality, 2, armed and fabulous. What a great subtitle! Uh, in which her abrasive FBI agent Gracie Hart finds herself in a beauty pageant. Frequently very funny, anchored by great performance by Sandra Bullock. Both movies are a lot of fun. So there you go: The Good Dinosaur and a Miscongeniality double bill. Can't say fairer than that. And join me next week for more Sky Cinema-related fun. Time now for this week's final guests. It's another double whammy. They are the directors and stars and writers and creators, and they probably did the catering as well, of the new film, The Endless. They are Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, and they were talking to James Dyer in an interview that took place after the podcast was recorded. So I don't know how it went. They might have slapped each other. Who knows? But hopefully it went very well. Uh, Enjoy. So welcome to The Empire Podcast. Justin
7: Benson and Aaron Moorhead, creators of The Endless, which is out this week. Uh, When I say creators, I do, of course, mean uh, directors, stars, writer, cinematographer, editors, visual effects supervisor. Have I missed anything out?
3: We helped produce it, too.
7: Producers, (laughs) best boys. I mean, are you prodigiously talented across a large spectrum or massive control freaks, or both? Ah. That's weird. <clears throat> I don't this is this is Justin. I'm
8: actually I'm pretty sure I'm not talented. I'm pretty sure I just did all these jobs for a really long time and uh you just do something enough and you become proficient at it. I don't think I was naturally good at anything ever though. Yeah, you suck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: Um yeah, I think it's I think that's exactly it is. We we
8: prefer it that
3: way. We've found that it's part of our process. Mm. But when we started, we weren't being control freaks. We we just couldn't afford to have someone else do it. And uh and then, you know, slowly we've we've experimented say on like a music video or something with uh with people doing doing one of the jobs that we normally just pick up ourselves. And just it it, it works out fine, but something's off. And we don't really know what it is. We just found out that part of our process is getting our hands dirty. Um, you know, look, if we're making a, a Marvel movie or something like that, I'm sure they're not going to be like, "Yeah, guys, just just go all in. <laughs> don't worry about it. You can be in it too." You know, but um, but uh, we we have found that just the the process of um, of needing to do it ourselves becomes part of the creative process rather than uh, um, you know stepping
7: back and having someone more talented yeah. do it. But this is the James Cameron school of filmmaking, isn't it? Like, he's a guy who could do many of the jobs on the set and often does kind of step in and do that, uh, which bodes well. Yeah, yeah. For us, we kind of model it after Soderbergh or something like
3: that, where he just, he's got, you know, the, the energy of just, yeah, of course I'm going to do it, of course.
7: Well, The Endless, as we say, is out today, in fact. It's out today. And this is, I mean, I mean literally a cult sci-fi. Would you care to give a stab at explaining the nuances of the film? in a way that doesn't make anyone's heads explode. Okay, so this is this is spoiler-free, right? So spoiler-free. We're, we're just giving a pitch? Yeah, just, yeah. just, just okay. v- vaguely with a, with, a, with a hint of, of, of plot.
3: Okay. Uh, it's about two brothers yeah. living in Los Angeles in poverty, and uh, we find out very early in the film that about a decade ago they fled from a UFO death cult, a bit like Heaven's Gate. Um, and in the very beginning of the film they get a message from the cult saying... We're still here, basically. And it opens this rift between them because the younger brother had been pulled out by the older brother and the younger brother saying, um, you know, that was our family and I hate our lives right now. So why did you do that? And, and so after some debate, they decide to just go back, see what their family's up to, um, you know, just for a night. It's They're not going to stay. They just want some closure. And when they go back, they find that um, the beliefs of the cult, the kind of, otherworldly beliefs of the cult just aren't quite as crazy as they
7: remembered them to be. Mm. Is that a decent place I, to stop? I th- I think I think that covers it. And then the fact that there's a, an H.P. Lovecraft quote at the beginning probably gives an indication as to the direction in which this ends up going. Um, now, this, this was an interesting one for me. So I reviewed this for the magazine uh, and I watched it and, you know, being a journalist, trying to do a little bit of due diligence. I read up on the other films you've done, which I hadn't seen. And I was reading the plot of Resolution at the time and I was like... Um, uh, okay, it's a couple of guys, a cabin, guy gets changed to a radiator, rehab And I was like, hang on a second, this sounds weirdly familiar And then I went back and watched that bit of The Endless again And then I got hold of a copy of Resolution And it's like, this isn't a sequel to Resolution But it is a companion piece to that film and But in a way that I'm not sure I've seen done before Like, this felt like this is a new thing We need a, like, it's not a sequel, it's not a prequel, it's not a sidequel What kind of quill would this be? <laughs>
8: Yeah, it's interesting We it, There really isn't a name for what it is And I think the, the closest you can get is people say Oh, they, they take place in the same universe mm. um, They fit each other like puzzle pieces They do solve some of each other's mysteries uh, But you don't have to see one to have high comprehension of the other And it's just, it was a weird thing Where, you know, we made this movie called Resolution Six years ago now And it was just a bunch of friends going out into the woods And making a movie We didn't know if anyone would ever see it Somehow we submitted to film festivals and somehow it got into a big one and then it ended up getting distribution, which isn't any film success story, but it was a tiny distribution for a tiny movie that costs like nothing. For us, it was a win and a success, but we also know that no one saw it and that no one's probably ever going to see it. Um, but, uh, But for whatever reason, it just served as an inspiration point for us to keep telling stories in that world. It's a weird thing where it's, like, usually when e- – even if you're, like, oh, we're going to tell a story in that universe, usually there's some sort of, like, financial
7: incentive to do so. Um, in this case, it was literally just creative currency. Mm. I mean, you say n- no one has seen it or will see it. I think a lot of people probably now will see it once they've seen the endless, uh if only because it does as you say, it deepens it, it enrichens the experience. we mentioned the h p Lovecraft uh, quote at the beginning. It feels like sort of Cthulhu's tendrils are sort of floating above this somewhere. Is that like a big influence for you it's funny we
3: we're always embarrassed to say this but um bef- when we made resolution and even our second movie spring which was called lovecraft meets link later like that's how they marketed <laughs> it we uh we we quite genuinely were extremely unfamiliar with lovecraft uh to the point that the first time i ever got the comparison i was like lovecraft is that like a romance does he like craft novels about <laughs> romance i don't know and uh and th- i mean that's how stupid we are and um and then so of course now we've done our due diligence and read a little bit more Lovecraft and all of that and we wanted to pay the respects to the fact that this is the type of cosmic fear that you're going to feel and it and the the quote that opens the film definitely sets the tone yeah. about about the unknown rather than about, you know, a scary monster in a rubber suit or whatever it's going to be. And um and so it was more just paying homage and making sure that w- we were recognizing where w- our, no 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 was more like giving the uh, audience a guidepost for where the the story was going to go. But that's about where the Lovecraft inspiration ends. There's a little bit of you know something like a color out of space or or um, actually most, mostly mostly color out of space. Yeah. Um. But uh, but really, it's more just the the feeling of it, the the cosmic fear and the idea of an ancient entity that's that's so. Old, it's incomprehensible um, that's, that's a Lovecraftian idea that, that actually we intersected before we had read Lovecraft mm. uh, that said though everyone that we read growing up read Lovecraft so it's not a total accident
7: good stuff Lovecraft famous for, for, you know, his particular brand of horror. This, to, to sell this film as a sort of a low-budget horror, I think misrepresents what it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, I suppose it falls into the horror category, but it's not a film that relies on jump scares. It's not a film that really goes for, you know, physical horror and gore. What it gives you is a sense of kind of vertiginous unease. Mm. You know what I mean? Like someone's you look down and you're really really high up that kind of feeling do you think that's kind of what you were going for yeah I mean that's wow.
8: what we go for that, it's it's interesting because when you you know when you work in independent film where you don't you know we don't have access to, um, to to Jake Gyllenhaal to you know we don't have access to big celebrities to put in our films and we also and thus we don't have access to a lot of money uh, because we don't have access to big cast so you're always trying to do as much as you can with a little and I think the one thing that you can offer as an independent filmmaker in terms of offering an audience the roller coaster ride is to make them scared Mm. and making an audience scared it doesn't always mean um violence and and jump scare stingers it's a good way of doing it but it not always that and what we try to do is actually make our films frightening but in a way that hopefully you've never quite seen before and you do get that thrill of being uneasy throughout the film um that's like the thing that we can't afford to do at the budgets we work out without having Jake, Jake John Hall.
7: Yeah, the 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 ideas are free. Yeah, basically, but effects, of course, aren't. And a lot of people get into horror because you know blood and gore can be very cheap to do. You can do that. But what you've done is is use sort of visual effects. Like, there's lots of sort of I don't even know the technical name for them, the sort of mirror effects and just uh, odd, should we say, visual anomalies, mm-hmm. which lend to the the atmosphere of this. I mean. How does that work out? Did you sit down and think, well, okay, this is the effect we're going for. How the fuck do we do this? Right. It was actually the reverse, interestingly enough, where because
3: I got started as a compositor mm. um, just trying to make like lightsabers in my videos and stuff when I was a kid. <laughs> and, um, and so that's been in the toolkit for whatever. But we never make visual effects movies, something you would call a visual effects movie, mm. um, where the centerpiece of it is an effect. It's always a byproduct. And so when we sat down to write this kind of DIY hand over fist movie, there are these lists, literally like like on scratch paper of what we have available to us. You know, the actors we have available, uh, you know, we were on that list, um, you know, the, the locations we have available. And then uh, and at a certain point, uh, I, I remember Justin emailed me and said, uh, um, uh, do you have any skills, like literally just life skills, you know? And I'm like, well, I, I know how to like tie knots because uh, I'm a Boy Scout, um, you know. So like tying knots made its way into the film, you know. And <laughs> and uh, Justin's a good swimmer, so him swim like jumping into the lake came into the film. But then also, um, he, he said, send me a list of all the visual effects you just wanted to try and you think you can accomplish 100 uh, percent without without it costing anything or having to outsource it to someone else or whatever and uh and that's a, 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 look not every single one of those ended up in the film it wasn't just a kitchen sink film but those were the constraints that that the film was written around and it made the film in our opinion a lot stronger
7: that's genius, sort of working backwards. Just, what can we do? And let's find a place to make it all work. Yeah. I mean, you put yourselves in the film, obviously. Well, the- it, it, sorry, <laughs> I just realized that the. Because
3: the, the, I'm, I'm for fear that anyone would think that we just like took a bunch of crap and threw it together. <laughs> it's more like. Um, Two dumb versions of John Nash in a brilliant in a brilliant mind when they're looking at the code and the, and he's trying to find it you know and it's just us two dumb guys doing it but we're looking at this m- massive amounts of stuff and trying to see what the through line is
7: yeah. and that's that's more what it what it ended up being yeah and you save on casting by putting yourselves in the leads obviously now these characters that you play make a brief very brief appearance uh, in resolution um, why those two was it? Did you spring from the, as you said, the logistics of it, saying, you know, well, if we cast ourselves, that makes everything a lot easier? Or was there something about the idea of those characters which kind of stuck in your head when you made the first film? It was a combination of
8: several things, but one of them was that uh, we, were, we were looking at all these bigger projects we had in TV and movies that were taking longer than we would have hoped to get made, and we wanted to make a movie that was totally self-reliant. And... uh and we were we were looking at all the movies and TV shows that we had going on that were taking too long, and we're like, oh, what kind of unifies all these? It's like, oh, they all seem to thematically explore ideas of conformity and anti-conformity, and when is it appropriate to rebel? And uh, and then we all simultaneously realized, we keep talking about this tiny movie we made called, called Resolution, where we played cult members. Well, wouldn't those cult members be a really interesting way to explore themes of conformity and of anti-conformity? and? You know, we literally own these characters. Uh, and if we were to go tell a story with them, again, we'd be self-reliant and and we could just do it. And something we were talking about last night was just that it's like, oh, can't, could we find, if we wanted to recast these roles, eh, it'd be weird, there'd be some movie in existence that call, that's called Resolution and then there's two characters and all of a sudden they're different people in the next movie. And it's like, oh, well, again, no one's seen Resolution, so does that matter that much? But there is also, there's this thing of like, Yes, there are a lot of very talented actors in Los Angeles who would probably work with us on a movie. Would they want to be on call every day for, like, six months in rehearsal, pre-production, on set, and in post-production and not getting paid for it? Probably not.
3: <laughs> I mean, even, like, a really struggling <laughs> actor would be like, I don't really want
8: to hang out with you guys that much. Yeah.
3: And even if they did, I'd, we'd, our, our guilt would overwhelm us and all of that. We did that for Resolution, those poor guys, you know? Um but yeah, it, it's it's a whole bunch of things. If if we ever if anyone ever pointed to one one of the reasons, the, the reason sounds too surface level to have cast yourself. You know, like continuity from a movie no one saw. Who cares? You know. But but if you add the continuity, the fact that we wanted to do it, the fact that we wanted to be self reliant, and we knew that we were capable. You know, and you add all mm-hmm. of those things up,
7: it, it makes way more sense than than something else. I mean, did you see yourselves always as, as behind-the-camera filmmakers, or were you looking as acting as an equally sort of viable strategy? Because I know you guys have acted before. I particularly love your credits on Contracted Phase 2 <laughs> as Handsome Officer and Less Handsome Officer. Did you have to fight over those particular credits? Or? No, actually, I think I volunteered. Because <laughs> so, yeah. um,
3: well, what was fun is it was just like, just call us that. And they're like, well, which one's which? One's which? And I was like, you know which ones. You know which ones to do. Yeah. Um, Wait, what was the question?
7: <laughs> so, acting versus directing—essentially, where where did you envisage yourself when you set out, in uh, front or behind the camera?
3: Oh, uh, I, I think we both definitely saw ourselves as um, behind the camera. Mm. Um, but that said, though, acting just kind of became part of that filmmaking umbrella we were talking about before, yeah. where we just, you know, um, uh, we view editing and acting as as all part of making the same cake, and uh, and that's that's just it, it's something that is. Um, it is an art and it is a craft and it's hard. It's all difficult and, and it requires a lot of study and practice and preparation and um, and uh, emotional presentness and, and all of that. Mm. Um, but we, we view it as just part of making the film rather than like, all right, this is I am now this is actor Aaron is appearing and director Aaron's going
7: away or something like that. Well, The Endless is out today on, I want to say, Blu-ray as well as in cinemas. And also, uh, Resolution is still available. Once you've seen The Endless, I'm sure you want to go and see that. So, you know, do that too. Uh, Guys, thanks very much for coming in. Thank Thank you for having us. Thanks.
0: Another Turbocharged, very brief intro there for the Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead interview. But that was it. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, It is time now to talk about this week's movie reviews. What is happening in the world of the world? Um, the big film this week is Sicario two Soldado or Sicario Two Day of the Soldado in the States, which is the worst title for a big film I've seen in a long time.
2: I don't understand what the Day of The adds to the American title. It's very I, I don't strange. See
0: when you have two Spanish words mm-hmm. and then throw in a bunch of English words. It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense but then the war on drugs doesn't doesn't make any sense either. Hey. It's a metaphor, Chris. <laughs> no.
1: Just saying it went over your head. Uh, I, I got it. That's how you brawl. That's how I brawl. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, uh, people were... Some people were maybe a little bit concerned. The first film was so great. Sicario was such mm. a, um, a left-field thing when it arrived. Uh, even the cast didn't think it was going to work when they were making it. They were like, you know, Josh Brolin's talked about that he and Benicio Del Toro... We're like, yeah, this didn't really work, this isn't going to be anything. Uh, It turned out to be amazing. And I think uh, a lot of that's to do with the director, Denis Villeneuve, and the cinematographer, Roger Deakins, neither of whom are back for the sequel. So I think people were a bit concerned this was going to be an inferior effort. In fact, it is very excellent. It is is inferior. It is inferior. I'm not going to say superior, but definitely inferior. Yeah. it's really good, and it, it takes the story on. Emily Blunt's uh, character, Kate, is not back this time, so the story is focusing on Josh Brolin's character, uh, Matt Graver, mm. and Benicio del Toro's character, Alejandro Gillick. Um, it's a both the of them are back. Yeah. And it sees the situation being intensified. Graver is told by his superiors to whip up a war between the drug cartels. And as part of that, Gillick kidnaps the daughter of one of the big drug bosses. and abducts her, drives her across the border and uh, basically the movie follows the shit that goes south.
0: Yeah, um, literally and metaphorically Yeah, in this one. This is interesting because I really, really liked the last film but the Emily Blunt's character did disappear in the last third of the movie as the focus shifted onto Josh Brolin and specifically Benicio Del Toro and a lot of people have been discomfited slightly I think by the fact that. Emily Blunt doesn't feature in this movie at all Although there is talk that if they do a third She might come back for that Is there a strong female character to take her place in a way Or is this just a great old Big old swinging sausage fest with good action scenes I think she has missed a little bit There is a, a, a pretty decent
1: female character In in the form of Catherine Keener uh, Playing CIA boss Cynthia Ford Who is kind of <laughs> Keeping an eye on the guys But,
0: the, but- Kevin Hazard
1: <laughs> Yeah, Kevin has. <laughs> you definitely, uh, you definitely miss Blunt. I think uh, she really brought, you know, you you saw everything through her eyes, and that perspective is is missed a little bit. But it's very good. It's um, it's very nihilistic. It's very dark. It's very bloody, and um, there's some really good action in it. I'd say the flaw maybe is that it's very much the middle part of a trilogy, and it doesn't really wrap things up. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it doesn't really yeah. have a sort of satisfying okay. finale. But there's lots of good stuff in it. It is tense as hell. Mm-hmm. It's um, if you remember in the, the first film, the scene where the convoy is going down into Mexico, um, and it's that was one of the tensest action scenes I've seen for a long time. There's some stuff in in this yeah. movie that challenges that. Yeah, um, it's
0: I'm, a great I'm opening. really excited. I haven't seen it yet because I was away. So uh, I I'm very very excited about it. I I was a big fan of those characters in the first one. There was a real sort of laconicness to. Matt Graver in particular. And I, I imagine there's hidden depth to that guy that will be explored in this movie. The new director is Stefano Salima. And, you know, people are going, Roger Deakins isn't back. But yeah, but Darius Wolski is a cinematographer and he's not exactly an amateur. Guy did The Martian. Yeah, uh, and he knows how to point a camera at people and, and paint with light.
1: Yeah, But I'd uh, say the MVP of this whole, this whole series is uh, Taylor Sheridan, the writer, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who, um, you know, used to be an actor on Sons of Anarchy. And Sicario suddenly turned him into this this very hot screenwriter, and um, he's the he's the heart of this whole
0: series, I yeah. think. So, yeah, I can't excited. wait for
1: part three.
0: I'm excited, and I hope it does well enough at the box office, uh, despite that title, to get to get to a part three. That'd be great. Yeah, and see which other former Spurs striker they can work into the title. Uh, so, that's four stars then for Sicario two, Soldado, or Sicario Day of the Soldado if you are in the states. Uh, next up, very very quickly, is Tag. Yeah, so this is a uh,
2: big Hollywood studio comedy in a year where big Hollywood studio comedies are, are doing fairly well between things like uh, Game Night and Blockers. Uh, this is based on a Wall Street Journal article which told the true story of a group of uh, American school friends who 30 years on from graduating are still playing a game of tag. And they uh, the game is on for a month every year uh, and they basically all kind of Uh, meet up but also well sneak into each other's lives in order to to kind of tag each other when they least expect it and on the one hand it's just uh, a silly game that they've just never got over playing Uh, and on the other hand is something that means that they see each other every year and they keep up in each other's lives which is a lovely heartwarming story and sadly, it has been turned into a film that, for me, didn't keep any of that sense of, of heart. Um, so you've got a really strong cast here. You've, uh, it's led by Ed Helms, who plays Hoagie, who's the, the first person we meet when the game kicks off again. Uh, and he is trying to uh, tag the likes of John Hamm, uh, Jake Johnson, Hannibal Buress. Uh, and the final friend is uh, played by Jeremy Renner, who is very much the, the Hawkeye of the group who has never been tagged in the entire game and it's their mission that this is the year that they are finally going to tag Jeremy Renner. Um the thing that's a shame here uh is that like I said yeah the story is about about these friends kind of making sure they keep up with each other and kind of re-enter their, their, their each other's lives mm. and but instead of following elements of that kind of heartfelt part of the story it's just a lot of really an annoying zany pratfalls about the game itself and it really quickly becomes clear that actually they're not interested in the problems each other are facing in their lives and it's all about the game itself and that felt like a massive missed opportunity for me because even just as an underlying yeah. area of that story it, it for me went to some quite insensitive places where if if that was your group of mates and you've f- you've f- found out some of the things that they find out about each other you'd be like oh my god are you okay i'm really glad that we've caught up to 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 talk about this and then you go tag you're it and run away but it doesn't do that (laughs) it's all about just them trying to tag each other no matter what which um yeah it kind of rubbed me up uh, the wrong way to be honest and i think it's not helped that there's some some really thinly written female characters in here as well so you've got annabelle wallace who for some reason they've included the framing device of the The Wall Street Journal journalist following them around and... And she has to basically just be besotted by, the, by this idea that they're playing the game and she literally just follows them around for the whole film and looks on at them and goes like, wow, what a bunch of guys you all are <laughs> as they're being yeah. like really insensitive to each Bloody other. Blokes. You've got Rashida Jones who is basically just there purely as an object for, for two of the, she the never men. Gets resolved. She never, never I, gets I, resolved. I, I,
1: I, yeah, I walked out of the film and I thought, they forgot to finish that. Finish the like, Rashida Jones thing. So she literally doesn't go anywhere.
2: She was at their school as well and two of them fancied her and now like they're all back on the market and which one's going to get her and it, it she becomes a bit of an object as well. So, uh yeah, really disappointing to be honest this one. Uh, I hope going to right? gonna be and it's not funny. That's the other thing. It's I mean, not very John funny. Hamm. Waste John Ham. Hannibal Buress gets some good laughs. He's the only one of the main 5 who really gets some good laughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, disappointing this one. Uh, 2 out of 5 for tag. For tag.
0: tag, you're not it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2 out of 5. Two stars and uh, not a recommendation. Also given two stars this week is Adrift. Um, Sorry, Shailene. Sorry, Sam Claflin. Please don't poke us with your big oars. Last but not least is The Endless, which James absolutely loved. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. Uh, It is out this week. It's also out, I believe, on Video On Demand. Do people still say that? This is 1973 what's happened? But it is a, about two brothers who were part of a cult and they receive a, a package which draws them back into the world of the cult and things go really, really weird and trippy and existential uh, from there. And... Benson and Moorhead are directors to really, really keep an eye on. Uh, I believe, actually, on Endless, one of the uh, features, once it comes out on DVD and Blu-ray, is going to be their second movie, Spring, which is, in a weird way, a, 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 a movie that sets up the Endless in a, in a strange way. But James called it an effective micro-budget sci-fi horror that makes up in confidence and competence for what it lacks in frills. Uh, it surely can't be long before they're invited to bigger things. Benson and Moorhead. So four stars, then, for The Endless. And don't be frightened by the by the title, It's just under two hours. So there you go. That is it for this week's Empire Podcast, brought to you by Sky Cinema. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Natalie Dormer, star of Game of Thrones, of course, and uh, the new film In Darkness, and possibly Rob Brydon, star of Swimming with Men. Very, very exciting. Hey, maybe we can do, Nick, maybe we can do an Al Pacino off with uh, Rob Brydon. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: Ah. I don't think it'll end well for us. Ben?
0: Pacino I, I
2: can't <laughs> uh, I've never done an impression fuzzy, on this podcast I'm never ever going to do one because I, I just can't
0: that, that was like my Jar Jar Binks that but was. I,
2: I enjoyed that <laughs> but that was promising I'll, I'll workshop it
3: hooah <laughs> hooah say hello
2: to my little friend <laughs> <laughs>
5: just when I thought I was out they pulled me back in
0: Anyway, until the auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Nick Disemlian. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ben Travis. Goodbye! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, he started. There's no stopping it. Once the genie's out of the bottle, <laughs> this is it. Wow. Amazing. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to, well, frankly, go to sleep. Uh, it may be needed. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next week.
4: Bye.